You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the show. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune in, and I hope that each episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Special thanks to my incredible sponsors, INLPCenter.org, offering world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries, and to Daily Recovery Support, interactive group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every day in your healing journey. Learn more and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. My special guest on today's episode is Jason Miller. Jason submitted his incredible story as a guest blogger on Surviving My Past back in May of this year, 2018. Entitled, A Bipolar Life, he spent years making mud pies in a slum, but no more. In his account, he shares openly about his struggles not only with bipolar disorder and full-blown mania, but also in the areas of addiction, financial and relationship struggles, a terrible accident on the job that left him with severe burns on his body, and more. Jason's story is not only one of struggle, but of resiliency, learning, and overcoming what he's endured to get to a point where he's beginning to do advocacy work, not only on his own, but also partnering with NAMI in his local area. You can follow him on Twitter at CostlyLoveWins, and I'll be sure and put that in the show notes. I hope that by listening to Jason share, you'll be encouraged and inspired to keep working and never give up throughout your own struggles in life. There is always hope. Always remember that. So let's join my recent chat with Jason Miller. So, hey, Jason, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Thanks for joining us today. I am good, Matt. Uh, Happy to be here. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, And as I said in the intro, uh, Jason is someone who wrote a guest blog post um, that has just really kind of skyrocketed on the blog. It's reaching a ton of people. Uh, I'm getting great, great feedback on your story, man. So you're, you're reaching a lot of people with your message and I'm honored to be able to share your story and help you get the word out. And so why don't we talk a little bit and you can just share uh, some about, you know, who you are, and some of your journey, and just kind of give people a brief introduction into who Jason really is. Sure. I uh, First, I wanted to say I appreciate you publishing my story on your blog and, and putting it out there, and uh, it's really gratifying to hear that a lot of people are, um, that it's reaching a lot of people and, and seems to be helping people, because that's the goal. That's one of my ways of helping others by sharing my story. And it's something I learned in AA is sharing my experience, strength, and hope. And uh, this has been a great opportunity to do that. So thank you. And as far as who I am, uh, I am a person who um, was blessed or today I think of it as being blessed. At one time I thought of it as being cursed with uh, bipolar disorder 
and alcoholism and uh, an addiction to pornography and uh, I guess you could say emotional trauma from growing up in a pretty dysfunctional home. Not blaming anything on my parents, but it was just very, very, we were all dysfunctional. And uh, so it's it's been an interesting ride for the last uh, 51 years. And uh, I, I have had, uh, I think that my story may resonate with a lot of people because it has, uh, it's been so, my experiences have been so eclectic. Um, and I've had a few major, major travesties, but it's more of a long-term and sustained uh, struggle and, and uh, a lot of pain until I got into uh, into recovery. And uh, it started out very early. I knew there was something wrong with me. I mean, I didn't have the capacity to understand that it was mental illness, but when I was a kid, I was depressed. I didn't know I was depressed, but I knew that I wasn't functioning the way other people did. I wasn't happy. I wasn't experiencing joy very often. Um, I had insomnia from a really young age. I was very fearful as a child. Um, I always felt like the outsider. I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, one of the, the quote-unquote smart kids, and I hid behind my intellect and, and my studies, especially as I got older. Um, I had obsessions and compulsions. Uh, I was never diagnosed with OCD, but I've come to learn that that can be a part of bipolar disorder and has been for me uh, some pretty wicked uh, obsessive uh, obsessive thinking that has uh, in the past tortured me mentally. Um, and uh, until I got the tools to, to cope with it. Um, and so that's kind of what my childhood was like. Was uh, my, my father was, uh, he was a uh, bullying person with some narcissistic traits, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of verbal, verbally abusive, uh, verbal abuse, if you will. And, um, uh, my mom was distant and uh, emotionally unavailable and and um, I just don't think was very capable of, of uh, being a loving, compassionate person and uh, not blaming them. That's just, you know, something happened to them, obviously, when they were growing up that made them that way. And um, then that was passed on to me and I acted on it in my own way as an adult. So I, I gave them plenty of plenty of hell along the way. <laughs> so uh, went on to be valedictorian in my high school class and um, prided myself in my studies, like I said, and my accomplishments. My parents, that was another thing about growing up in my home. It was very, uh, there was no real empathy. It was uh, people were judged by their accomplishments and their capabilities and not who they were as a person. And uh, I didn't drink or smoke. Um, and I thought I was a, a very good person. Uh, I was kind of a social 
not really outcast, but I didn't socialize very much. I had a small group of friends who also did a lot of studying. Um, and then I went away to school. Uh, I lived in uh, Kansas City. That's where I grew up. And I went, went away to school at the University of Missouri at Columbia, which is about two hours away. Um, if anybody's into sports, that's MU. It's in the SEC conference now. It's a pretty big school. Um, but down there, that's when my bipolar really blew up. Blew up. Uh, that was a big stressor when I was finally out on my own. And uh, the way it manifested itself down there was uh, a severe depression. I was crying every day, calling home every day, driving home every weekend. And I uh, <clears throat> got involved with a group of guys who were gearing up for uh, a cross-country run. Uh, it was competitive, and um, that became the way that I coped with what was going on. Was I, I threw myself into this competition, preparing, gearing up for the end of the semester to, to race these guys. And I'd never run in my life before. I started out running like a 28- or 29-minute, 3.1 miles, and by the end of the semester, I was down to uh, sub 20. I was in 19 minute range, and but the price that I paid was uh, my weight went down to 150, or I went from 155 to 119, and I had three uh, percent body fat. I was restricting my food and running compulsively every day. And, um, I crashed and burned and came home, <clears throat> moved back in with my parents in Kansas City, went on to. Uh, School at UMKC for three years, and um, my obsessions continued to torture me. My new one was that I would become well, I, I started to believe that I was completely worthless and could never function in society on my own without living with my parents, and that I would end up uh, homeless and would eventually just deteriorate and die. Um, and that became a daily obsession. Um, I met Somehow I continued to function, though. Um, I met my, uh, I met a, a woman on a summer job, and we ended up getting married. Uh, I had, uh, that's when I started to drink alcoholically. Alcohol was the, the magic elixir for me. Um, I don't even remember a first drink. It was the first drunk. Uh, the first, first time I drank, I got drunk, and and then I didn't look back after that. I started getting drunk every day. And, um, it, it drowned all of those obsessive thoughts away and all the shaming thoughts and all the, the self-hatred and, and everything. It was, it was oblivion. It was escape. And I would drink to pass out and black out nearly every time. Um, I ended up quitting school and, and going to work underemployed, working in, uh, machine shops for seven or eight dollars an hour, uh, and then would drink after work, get a bottle on my way home, and, and drink myself into oblivion after work. And uh, uh, one, one thing that happened during that period, I worked for a year and a half in a, a really, really difficult job. Um, uh, very heavy, dirty, nasty, dangerous work in a metal plating facility and ended up falling into one of their cleaner tanks. Uh, that was heated up to about 200 degrees with concentrated sodium hydroxide, and uh, I wound up with 
second and third degree burns on 20% of my body. Um, and that was a result of my drinking. I was still uh, half drunk from the night before and or hungover. And my uh, marriage spiraled after that. Uh, we, we did get pregnant. She had twin boys. Um, but it, when they were six months old, I had stopped drinking by then. I was a dry drunk. But I went into uh, a mental hospital for uh, uh, severe depression and uh, ended up meeting a woman there and, and got married. Uh, well, I left the hospital with her and got divorced from my wife and abandoned my sons and got married to this woman. And uh, things just went on. I mean, I, I guess. I'm getting pretty detailed and probably don't have time for all this, but um, I better better go more for the highlights. Um, I had I spent time with her for about a year and a half, and, and things were just completely wild. It was a manic ride, and she was very sick. I was very sick, and we used people and couch surfed and stole and vandalized and all kinds of things. Um, lived off the system. Um, food stamps and so forth, and, and uh, then I ended up in my uh, second and third hospitalizations at the, the state-run psychiatric facility, in Western Missouri. And the third time I was in there, it was for uh, suicidal and homicidal ideations. I had reached such a severe state of depression that I had determined that my parents had put these negative this negative thinking into my head, this shaming thoughts, and that um, my mood became so dark because of this that there was no light at the end of the tunnel, so I decided I was going to go to their house and shoot them and then shoot myself, kill myself. And uh, Instead of doing that, I went and told my therapist about it, and she put me in this this hospitalization, and um, that was kind of my come-to-Jesus moment. And that's that's when I got into some type of recovery. I got with a good therapist after that who, who uh, gave me uh, at least a tool that I could use. Didn't get down to the underlying causes, but a tool I could use to function, which was cognitive behavioral therapy. And I guess we can kind of, uh, I'll just stop gabbing there and, and let you interject. <laughs> I'm listening to you share in your own words and everything that you went through, these struggles with addiction and abuse and neglect in the home when you were growing up and, you know, the tragic accident at work and the mental health facilities and the relationship struggles and all the things that just kept piling on and piling on that led you to, you know, such a dark place until finally you were able to receive some help. I guess I'm maybe kind of interested to know or when you, you know, sought out the help of a therapist was it something where once you began to get that help, did you feel, did you still continue to struggle with a lot of things? Did you feel like you were on the right path to recovery? Were you perhaps really not sure and just, you know, not really believing that, that this was going to work at all? And the reason I ask is I know when so many of us start to reach out for help with a therapist or some other professional means, um, oftentimes, you know, we're looking obviously for help and for hope. And sometimes it's easier to embrace. And I'm curious how much you were able to really get into all of the things that your therapist was helping you with and trying to embrace this whole new kind of um, turnaround in your life. Was it difficult? Was it empowering? Was, you know, maybe kind of share a little bit on that area, if you don't mind. 
Sure, I don't mind at all. It was, it was, uh, well, first of all, it was pain that drove me there and, and desperation. Uh, and, and I got a lot of, I got a lot out of it, definitely. I, um, it was difficult. Uh, one thing I remember specifically, the, one, the first, one of the first sessions I had with her was that she gave me the list of cognitive distortions that people tend to have um, when when they have have had emotional trauma or mental illness or have a mental illness, uh, like all or nothing thinking and um, catastrophizing and uh, stereotyping and all those. And there were like 15 on the list. And I looked at that and I thought, that comprises, I mean, that <laughs> that's, that's the entirety, the sum entirety of how I think. And I felt so discouraged. I thought I'll never be able to get better because that's, that, that's how my brain works. And I'll never be able to change all of that. And, um, then she gave me the, uh, you know, the, the work that Beck and Ellis developed, the counters to all of those. And, um, I started to slowly employ those it took a long time and a lot of practice and she helped me through that i worked with her for about two years and um what a fantastic tool i mean it got me it got me to the point where i could function not only that by the way i i I should mention that i also got uh when when i was with the the woman prior to that whom i had married whom i had met in the, the psych hospital we that marriage, of course, fell apart. We were both very sick. Um, but we have been <clears throat> psychiatrist shopping, pill shopping through different psychiatrists, basically just to get pills that would make us feel good. But I finally got, when I got with this therapist, I finally got with a good uh, psychiatrist and stuck with the same one and actually got on medication that was beneficial to me in helping me and, and stayed with it. Uh, so between this, the cognitive behavioral and, and working with my therapist, starting off, it was twice a week, and then it tapered off to once a, once a week and gradually twice a month. And then uh, finally, she, after two years, she said she had to kick me out of the nest and <clears throat> stop seeing me. Um, but yeah, I made a lot of progress with her. But the problem was I never got down to the well, A, she diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder, which, God love her. I mean, she helped me so much. And, and I'm, by the way, I've reconnected with her. That was so long ago that, that ethically she can now <clears throat> communicate with me and see and talk to me outside of the the uh, client-patient relationship. Um, and um, she saved my life. But she was right out of school at that time. and um, was a very young therapist, and, and, um, and I've also found out that it's not uncommon for people to be misdiagnosed with borderline personality disorder when they have bipolar disorder. So um, those were my early experiences in recovery, and, and um, then I got married again uh, to a much healthier person. It was a much healthier relationship that I eventually uh, and I was still in therapy, but I was bouncing around from therapist to therapist. I couldn't find one that really fit or, you know, 
some probably were good, but I wasn't doing what I should have been doing. And, and some of them weren't legitimately weren't very good therapists. I mean, like any profession, you've got good and bad in, in between, but, um, I just, I wasn't doing what I needed to be doing and, and I needed more as I found out later. And I destroyed that marriage with my porn addiction. Does that answer your question? Or? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's just, <clears throat> you were mentioning about how, you know, this, this therapist really saved your life and the things that you learned with the cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, are those things that you're still able to put in practice today and are they as helpful or maybe even more now? that you've kind of been at this whole recovery thing for a while. And, you know, you've been through some of the darkest times and even though you're still working on yourself, like, like we all are. I mean, I always say that healing is a lifelong journey and we're always learning about ourselves and dealing with new memories and developing new skills and reaching out to help others. So um, the things that you've learned, how are they helping you now that you've been in recovery for so long? Are they still serving you? Are you having to try new things? Like I'm, I'm kind of curious. And I, I say that because, I've had to kind of take some skills that maybe helped me initially and now maybe they aren't quite as effective. So, you know, at, at, at times when they were, so I've had to adjust a little bit and seek out some different uh, modalities and different ideas that maybe I wasn't aware of before, or, or maybe just wasn't in a place to explore before. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Um, no, definitely the cognitive behavioral is still, still working well for me. I know there are new, uh, New therapies, I guess the DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, which I'm not, I, I, that's all I know is the name of it. And I, I may not have even gotten that right. I've never, no, you never did. delved in. That's it. Oh, okay, good. Good. Thanks. And I don't know if that's the successor to CBT or. Well, it's, it's part of CBT. Like it's an offshoot um, that was developed by Marsha Linehan that. Um, a lot of times your CBT therapist will include different parts of DBT in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it may be something you want to check into to see if it helps you. I find it extremely helpful, but, you know, so in any event. But, yeah, absolutely. It is It is part of it is like an offshoot of CBT. OK, OK. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm still using what I learned back in 1994. And um, obviously, like anything, it's um, it's the same modality, but good word i like that but i've become much more skilled at using it and um, some of it's become second nature some days are much better than others i mean bipolar disorder is uh something that's always lurking in the shadows waiting to pounce on you i mean the the brain our brains are wired differently um than other people's um tending towards being impulsive acting impulsively and going to those thought distortions and at least for me, this is what I've learned about my brain and going towards the obsessive thinking. And so I always have to be on guard for those. And, and um, I'm often having to consciously go back to using the, the cognitive behavioral and, and some of the other challenging, the distorted thoughts and um, countering them and um, those sorts of things. But I've, I've learned new, I got involved with the, uh, I had another huge manic episode after the, the divorce from my third wife, the, the marriage I mentioned I destroyed with pornography. And, and um, I, I hadn't, I was a dry drunk, but I was a, definitely an alcoholic. Even though I had stopped drinking 
quote unquote on my own. I still had all the, as we say in AA, the underlying causes and conditions. Um, the old saying in AA, if you <clears throat> um, if you sober up a drunk horse thief, you still have a horse thief. So um, that's kind of where I was at. And um, the book also talk, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous also talks about two kinds of alcoholics: those who can who can't stop drinking at all, and those who can may be able to stop, but once they start, they can't uh, can't control the amount they drink. And I fall into the second category. <clears throat> I've never been able to drink um, in moderation. So fortunately, I qualified for the program, and, and in 2010, I, I crashed. I had gotten involved with the uh, animal rights movement, and part of that is the Animal Liberation Front, which is considered a terrorist group by the FBI. And um, I wasn't engaged in any terrorist activities, but I was tangentially involved with those people, and the FBI was investigating me. I got involved or arrested for some above-ground activism, and um, I ran up $200,000 in credit card debt and ran through a bunch of relationships, uh, unhealthy relationships, and, and hurt a lot of people emotionally and financially. And So I crashed again with another depression, and even even while I was in therapy and on medication, uh, that just shows you how how um, if you don't do the other things like I wasn't using my cognitive behavioral, I wasn't getting enough sleep, I wasn't taking care of myself in other ways. So bipolar can get you even if you're uh, at least me if I'm not uh, really really working at it. And um, I was lying to my therapist and minimizing things that I was doing, so I wasn't giving her a fair shake. Um, I've been with her since 2004 and still am, so I'm not, I'm not blaming her in any way. But I hit that crash in, in 2010, and I <clears throat> went to AA, and, and, and thank God I did, because uh, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's some controversy in the mental health community about the 12 steps. A lot of clinicians, or at least the ones I'm familiar with and associate with, are big on it, are uh, believe in it. But there's some people who think AA, well, regardless, I don't want to get any kind of debate about AA, but it, it helped me a lot. It was, uh, and I'm not promoting it for anybody else. I'm just saying that was the, that was like the missing piece for me. And, and maybe it doesn't have to be didn't have to be AA. Maybe it was just a spiritual piece. I, I didn't have, I had abandoned religion or spirituality. And, and I found through AA, I had that spiritual transformation. I, um, you know, I did my moral inventory uh, where you write out all, basically all the bad things you've done, uh, looking, really looking at yourself and taking responsibility. And you share that with your sponsor, with another person. And then you go out and make them try to make amends for those things and um, develop a higher power of your understanding, surrender to that higher power, um, try to be of service, becoming more of a giver than a taker in this world and getting out of self and, and uh, being more other-centered than self-centered. And, and all those things were pieces I was missing in, in, in my previous uh, efforts at recovery and the last eight years have been uh, phenomenal. I feel like that that gave me uh, 
um, that brought me to a place where I'm thriving instead of just surviving. And I'm, I'm really grateful for all that. Yeah. And we are all so grateful just to hear your story, man. And I'm so glad that you are just feeling empowered and you're still working on, um, and something you, you had said, um, a minute or two ago was key. And that is, um, you know, about the whole 12 step program and, you know, sometimes it works for people and sometimes it doesn't and people believe in it and they don't. And one of the things I think we can always be reminded of is no matter what modality you're doing, no matter what skills you're employing for yourself, if they work for you, then they work. And, you know, it doesn't matter if people approve of it or they don't, or it's mainstream or it's not, or it's got a big track history of good or, you know, whatever, like, you know, it's, it's not that any one type of modality or strategy or therapy or whatever is necessarily works or doesn't work overall or good or bad. It's if you do it and it helps you, then, then it's good. And that's all that matters. And I think sometimes we tend to get caught up in, well, everybody's using this strategy or everybody's seeing that therapist or everybody tried this. Well, I'm a firm believer in trying things out. Healing is a lot of trial and error. You know, you try different therapists, different modalities, read different books, different techniques and find what works for you. And then that is your, it helps, it helps shape you into who you are. But, uh, you know, I think it's always a good reminder that we can always take heart in knowing that just because something maybe does or doesn't work for somebody else doesn't mean that it can't work for us. And if it works for us, by all means, stick to it and keep using it because, you know, ultimately we're the ones that are living with ourselves each day and we have to do what's best for us. So I just want to encourage people, whether it's, whether it's a 12 step program or any other type of program you're in, if it's working for you, keep on doing it. Right. Yeah, that's great. I, I appreciate those. Those are great words. It's uh, that's so true. Um, whatever, whatever works for each person. And, and uh, Gosh, that's uh, it. Kind of captures my my experience of of recovery because it you know it started in 1994 and, and it took me until you know a couple years into AA 2012 before I felt like I'd really found the right combination of of things that I needed to do to start going like I was living instead of just hanging on or surviving and. and uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, by the way, this just to piggyback on or maybe add on to this, um, I'm getting ready. In fact, I have my first appointment today. I'm staying with my same therapist, my current therapist, who's a behaviorist. Um, but I feel like I need something different and more. And I'm going for my first appointment today to see uh, a therapist who works from the perspective of essentially it's rather than dealing with the behavior, it's it's getting trying to get back to the the origins or the roots of what caused the maladaptive behavior. Um, I don't know if it's just not necessarily just being Freudian in a sense, or looking at at uh, childhood only. But I don't know if I'm if I'm expressing this the way that in a way that makes sense. But um, it's a completely different type of therapy, and and I'm really excited to to delve into this. I think it'll open up a whole new dimension to my recovery and will help me to be a better person and put me in the place to be more helpful to other people. Dude, it's awesome. And there are several different types of modalities that focus on that. So whichever one you do, like, I'd love to hear more about it. Like maybe you can tell us about it, um, perhaps on like a future podcast, we can see how it's going. And for healing, it's trial and error. It's, it's doing different things. It's exploring different options because as you evolve and heal, and gain more confidence and more strength and more resilient. 
sometimes we have to try new things to, you know, perhaps keep going forward. So congrats to you on the awareness. And I hope it really works out for you. And I mean, there's, there's so many areas that we could continue to talk about, but I want to make sure that we cover a little bit before we wrap up the show is you've shared some of your struggles and how therapy is helping you and the different modalities. So what are you working on now but besides your own recovery and working on yourself? What other things do you do in the mental health and the uh, addiction community to help others? Are there things you're passionate about, causes, programs, uh, things that you do that you might like to share? Sure, sure. I, uh, I'm just, I'm kind of a fledgling in that area. Um, I've been working, um, that's part of, part of AA is, is sponsoring people, uh, in, you know, I assume that's true in other 12 step programs where you basically work, serve as a mentor, uh, for people who are newer in the program and, and help them work their, work their program. So I've been doing that over the years and, um, I've held several service positions in, within AA, um, and then just within the last year, I've started to get more involved as, a, as an advocate, uh, a mental health advocate, if you will. At least that's what I'm calling it. Uh, I have a blog. Most of the content on my blog isn't even what I write. I've only written five or six pieces on there, and, and um, I'm posting on there several times a day. But um, So I have that, and, and I have a Facebook page. Um, it's got about 2,800 likes, and it gets quite a bit of activity. Um, I post on there two or three times a day. It's a, essentially uh, sharing little little snippets. Uh, I'll put a uh, typically uh, a meme with some something encouraging or something related to uh, mental illness or, or recovery or addiction. Um, it may be an encouraging quote or something along those lines. Uh, and then I'll, I'll write something, um, two or three short paragraphs that uh, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. The goal for me, along with um, the story that you put on your blog, is to take those, take all that someday, and, and along with that story that I, my story that you wrote on your blog, and flesh that out in and write a book. I also, um, I co-facilitate a, a class, a recovery-oriented class at my church, uh, Church of the Resurrection in, in uh, Leeward, Kansas, the suburb of Kansas City. Um, it's a, a class called Hope Hope and Forgiveness. And um, we get a lot of attendance from, from a place called the uh, Healing House here in Kansas City, which is a it's a facility for recovering uh, addicts and alcoholics who are trying to re-enter in society. Uh, a lot of them have been homeless or been in prison. And uh, they come out on Thursday nights. It's called Care Night <clears throat> out to our church. And um, this is one of the classes that we offer. And a lot of them attend this class. Uh, so I get a chance to, to work with them. Um, and then I've also recently joined NAMI. And um, I'm going to... Uh, at least I'm scheduled to, in uh, mid-August, uh, go down to Jefferson City, Missouri for training. I'm going to be certified to become a group facilitator with them and just going to see where things take me from there. So. It's It's got to be empowering and, and just and encouraging for you to be able to feel like you're at a point 
where you can now feel confident enough in your own journey that you can help others. Like it's just, it's gotta be an incredible feeling, right? Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and giving back, I mean, who would have thought this selfish and self-centered bipolar, this person with bipolar and alcoholism uh, would have ever, ever learned that giving is more rewarding than receiving because it was before it was all about me and what I could get. So yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really powerful on both levels. That's incredible. Man, I am I am so glad that you came on the podcast today to share some of your story. Again, I will link the blog post um, in the show notes there. Everybody can check it out if they haven't read it. But why don't we wrap it up and you can share where people can find you. Uh, you mentioned Facebook and your blog and all that stuff so they can check out your work and maybe like your page and kind of help follow you um, along your journey. Okay, great. I, I appreciate that. That's that's wonderful. My uh, My Facebook page, and uh, the name of it is inspiration and emotional courage and then there's a colon mental illness addiction and recovery uh, but if you just search for inspiration and emotional courage it'll come up and then my blog is named the same thing but my uh url is www.bipolarisbeautiful.com that's where i reside out on the uh on the internet <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. I'll be sure and link that in the the show notes as well. Jason, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I'd love to bring you back to hear more about how the programs you're involved in are going to see how the new uh, NAMI experience is going and just kind of catch up and learn more about you and see where you're at in life. So I'd love to bring you back again, man. Great. I would, I would love that. Thank you for all that you're doing and, and thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, inlpcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.